the thing the thing about augmented and virtual reality is that we've had these technologies for I think over a decade at this point. And while the use cases that you know my panelists are saying here are very relevant, we still have a long, long way off before they're integrated into what we what we think of as the metaverse. So the metaverse today, you know, you have a lot of companies here, you know, in the UAE and all across the world that are saying they're building individual metaverses, right? So it's a closed virtual or augmented reality space. So technically, that's not the metaverse. But then how powerful are the use cases day to day? And then how accessible is it for people to actually onboard? Because, you know, a truck driver in the, in the developing world is not going to use virtual reality. First of all, it's, it's far too expensive. Second of all, the accessibility and the onboarding to that technology is very, very difficult. I mean, what is, what is, that gonna, what is it going to do to enhance his or her life in essence? Hey everyone, welcome to MetaMind 3.0 podcast, the meeting of minds where we speak to industry specialists and brand experimentalists to uncover, demystify, and understand Web3 and the metaverse and answer the question, so what? Why should we as people and brands pay attention to the developments and what are the real world applications for us as individuals, businesses, and communities? I'm your host, Brandon Busitil, and this is my journey into Web3 and the metaverse. Welcome aboard. Hey guys, welcome back to the MetaMind 3.0 podcast. This is part two from our past event. The theme was technologies that enable the metaverse. Our panelists continue the deep dive into where the metaverse is right now and where it should be. They also unpack more about the blockchain. What is it? What, what are its limits? How does AI play into blockchain security? Particularly, our panelists look at one of the more important pillars in the metaverse for anyone who's looking to enter the space, user behavior. One of the things that came out of this episode actually was that user behavior is the number one reason why we're decades away from wide adoption of the metaverse. Make sure to check out part one as well if you haven't already and check the show notes for a chapter by chapter breakdown of what's covered in this episode. We'll also drop some metaverse platforms that our panelists mentioned in the show notes as well. Enjoy. In my opinion, the word metaverse now is being used not for the uh, metaverse that has been used in the science fiction book of uh, Snow Crash. Now it has been referred to every single virtual word that can serve something. For example, BMW, Omniverse, what Omniverse have been uh, doing for Sony Ericsson and BMW, it's somehow called somehow called a metaverse, but it's not a really metaverse. Like it's built for BMW alone, as George just mentioned. For example, Land Rover, they can't go into, into their virtual world and explore what they are doing exactly, but it's still, it's called a metaverse. A metaverse of a meta replica. The word metaverse has been used by Facebook, by Mark, Mark Zuckerberg, and this is where the hype came, uh, started, started from there. But in, in reality, it's... Um, it's a virtual world. It's a lot of technologies again put together, put together. Not just, not just the. Uh... The metaverse that I feel like, if I think of the metaverse, correct me if I'm wrong. I think of an overarching, almost like a walk-in internet, like, and that everybody is a part of. And what you're speaking about is is kind of like standalone websites that you can't really access via the internet. You need a special code to get into get into the specific ones, but it's not part of one 
overarching metaverse. Is am I correct? Okay. So yeah, I mean, has anyone seen Ready Player One? Yeah. Okay. So that's technically the metaverse, but the problem is it's only virtual reality enabled. Whereas the metaverse should be AR enabled, mixed reality enabled. You should be able to access it wherever you are. Um, that's the metaverse because you can walk into any world that anyone creates at any point in time, and you're the same exact person. I guess which may or may not lead to the next discussion, which is it has to be done on a blockchain because the blockchain showcases in a very transparent and open fashion that you own X Y Z, whatever that may be, in a cryptographically enabled way. In a decentralized manner, yeah. So every individual that is in the metaverse, whatever this may be, owns whatever they whatever they have, and everyone can see it. It's open and decentralized for like literally the entire universe to see, which obviously raises concerns. But then the issue with the blockchain now is that the blockchain is very slow. It's very very slow. So like today, if has anyone been on Decentraland or Sandbox, Somnium Space, any of these worlds, Brandon? Yeah, man, you, you, you organize it. So today, if you've ever been on Decentraland, Sandbox, or Somnium Space, or Treeverse, Mona Gallery, whatever it is, these so-called Web3 metaverses, they're interesting because they're built on a blockchain, but then if you go, it's, it's the most disastrous experience that you, can, that you can experience because it's so laggy and frustrating, you almost want to leave. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's the negative, I guess, of... Of current blockchain but we just touched the the lovely word blockchain can we just uh, unpack that for for a second just uh, to get everybody up to speed with this new blockchain hype so um, we all kind of log into uh, our our enterprise systems for example every day or into Google or into uh, our outlook server and we kind of access our information and I want you just to get a picture of what happens Right, and it's when you like kind of hit that URL. There's a lot of 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 routing in between servers and stuff that goes on, but then that kind of takes you at the end to a center of information controlled by uh, an entity, right? And that kind of owns that information, and you sign the ULO with it uh, that this information should be there. Now, suppose suppose for for example that there is a piece of information that kind of belongs to a different enterprise, but it kind of both together can act into one piece of information that can help, for example, case or, or, or help a study being. The problem is that this centralization of information as well kind of hinder this integ like integration of these information together. Now, if there is another way where I can trust you with my information in an anonymous way, and um, I can at the same time own that information, and I can make sure that you wouldn't be able to change or mutate this information in a way, then I would definitely go game with that. I would use that technology if it's there. And the blockchain is a very old algorithm, even before the Bitcoin was invented, way before 2008, right? And it was just used to solve some of the problems of communication in, 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 in networks. And it's called a Paxis algorithm, if anyone was interested in that. So it's, it's basically is like, how can I send a piece of information to everyone? And we can all agree that this information didn't lose any part. And think of it this way. When you're switching in between your uh, towers, when you're driving your car, there is a lot of kind of P2P confirmation between the towers happening over this communication frequencies. And if we took that example, kind of work it a bit more sophisticated and uh, like took it to a whole different game we kind of have a blockchain and it's 
a ledger that is public. Everyone owns it. It writes every transaction and every change to the state. And the state is the data. It could be my block type. It could be my bank account data. It could be my just a very specific state of, of an object I own. And these states are kind of executed or kind of like registered and written in stone to every page of that ledger. And we can think of pages like blocks. Just let's remove that word page and name it block. And then the next page says that, hey, page one was before me and page one had these transactions, right? And then as I scroll that book, it's intuitive that I'm not missing any page. And I'm sure that the writer and the author has wrote this information on that page because I'm on page two and I, read, I just read page one, right? So blockchain is a couple of blocks set together, connected by a mechanism that is very sophisticated and a very beautiful way that basically verifies that this block has this information and this information has arised and grew from its previous block. And that leads to the problem that George was saying is that over time, think of these pages because I just mentioned that every page has the history of what happened before, right? Which makes it impossible if right today, for example, wanted to go in and like kind of change something in the old history. I say, oh, well, every page from that on has actually that history as well. So you kind of need to work all your way up the pages. You need to rewrite the whole book, which is pretty difficult, pretty impossible, I'd say. And that leads us to this problem, huge amount of data. The internet alone is, is producing five exabytes of information every day. That's scary. That's scary big. This is the internet. And blockchain, if we so integrate it in the Web3 and the Web3 application that uses that, it kind of grows that blockchain ever. And then the transaction takes a lot of time to happen. But then again, these guys here, they offer a lot of nice stuff. So <laughs> AIs, AIs, AIs could be used to, and they are, by the way, AI is used to uh, develop hashing function. Hash functions are amazing piece of mathematics that takes in data and makes it look very ugly and unmeaningful. <laughs> this is basically what it does. And if you want to describe, if I want it through the keychain to my house, for example, so that I'm the only one who can use it, I wouldn't mind how it looks because I have it. But then I don't want anyone to copy that key, right? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to mutilate it. <laughs> I'm going to destroy how it looks. I'm going to make it basically gibberish. And a hash function needs to do that very quickly, right? But takes yonks, takes aeons to crack it, to reverse this back. And AI also is used to develop these hash and, and basically verifies them. With that, Merkle trees are one specific solution to the storage issue of blockchain, and there's a lot that is built on Merkle trees as well, but these are basically taking a lot of these transaction histories, condense them into a hash function, into a hash, into a string that doesn't make any sense, but it only makes sense to this tool, this hash function. And then if I wanted to verify that yesterday, um, George gave me his mic, right? I would read George mic yesterday in a very jebbled and fumbled way, right? And I wouldn't understand anything. However, I can take this through the function that generated it, and I can now confirm that this actually happened without having to write all the information. And that kind of condensed the, everything apart and makes it storage-friendly in a so way. So I just want to cut off the panelists here because so all of that is, is awesome. But then the problem is you have so many blockchains. So you have Flow, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Polygon, Solana, um, you know, Polkadot, Cardano, et cetera, et cetera. Then it becomes, which one do you trust and why? 
right? Now I know there are different there are different use cases, right? Especially when we look at the metaverse, but then which one will become the dominant one, right? And then which one becomes a dominant one if we go back to IP, let's say, or we go back to copyright, or we go back to you know changing your avatar, whatever it may be, right? And you go between worlds. Which blockchain is going to be the one that has the authority to kind of say yes? Ra'id's character or avatar in XYZ world is is verified. Well, um, in my opinion, the metaverse will be driven by uh, giant tech companies, not blockchain solution, not Ethereum or Solana or other. For example, Apple could do this. Google could do this, can easily do this because they have the huge number of users. And whoever have this huge number of users, they will be able to to make the metaverse. Because for them, it's easy. For Google, everyone uses Google. Uh, most of people use, uh, like, I think 82% use Android devices. And the rest, they use uh, they use uh, iOS. And maybe 2%, they use something else. So if Apple and Google collaborate to make their own blockchain, then problem solved. Then we have we do have a metaverse, especially with, with their devices and te- technologies that they have as well. Are any big companies that you know of actually trying to create the metaverse is there any race for that or is it quite a high risk high reward type 100% mark mark zuckerberg is is, is spending billions on on this he changed uh, the facebook to meta to to try to create the metaverse which is in my opinion uh, it could work it could work they're they're trying really hard they announced their project in Nazare, Nazare, which is also an AR glass, which uh, and that's why they acquired Oculus because they want to dominate this market, and they're selling it for cheap because they want it. They want it, They want people to use Oculus to get used to the concept where where it's the metaverse. What's the metaverse? How's it gonna look like? And I think yes, uh, AR, uh, Apple also announced there is a race between between all the giant techs, even Microsoft uh, with with their Hololens. Now, uh, HoloLens has been used in industrial sector more than the social sector. Meta, they're focusing on social social media basically because they are they're a social media platform at the end of the day, and they're focusing on on people people more. Apple, they announced that they're working on their glasses, but uh, still there's uh, there's no anything yet. They're working on it. When the project will be completed, we still don't know. Even even Meta. But I think I think all of the giant techs uh, they're, they're they're racing to be to be the first to create the metaverse alike. Now, George, you spoke about the fact that all of this technology is quite far out there. If I look at the internet and how that came in, I I would I would like to say it started with the corporates and kind of filtered into the personal. Do you think that's the same way that this technology is going to get everyone to the fact that? No one really used the internet unless you're in corporates. And now the truck driver that you mentioned, you know, that, that how is he going to afford AI? It's going to get to that point that it's now part of everybody has a phone, whether it's a good or a bad one. It's part of our lives. So it it really depends because, again, the metaverse has so many pillars, right? There's payments, there's hardware, there's various protocols and governance, right? There's computing power, there's networking, there's user behavior, which is the most important one, right? Because if user behavior doesn't change, then all of this is... We're getting into that. Yeah, is, is, is pretty meaningless. Um, now, the democratization of all of this may happen, right? Because you have Unreal Engine, for instance, that came out with MetaHumans. Um, for those of you that are not familiar with MetaHumans, it's pretty much a um, singular 
um, interface where anyone can pretty much create cinematic avatars um, at will, right? This is very interesting. But again, it goes back to how accessible is it? You still need to have a bit of technical skill to design this, right? Or design it right. Now, yeah, to your point, anything can become an avatar. I mean, every platform that we have today has an avatar on it. So yeah, I think the democratization will be there. To Rod's point, the big tech corporates will sadly probably dominate this space just because they have the money, they have the, the legal power, they have the lobbying power in order to do this. So they can craft it as and when they want, but then it's not really the metaverse. It's just Mark Zuckerberg's like fantasy world for the most part. Well, you started speaking about user behavior. So let's get into that one. Yeah, sure. So user behavior, obviously, it's all about market power. So if users, as in all of us, don't change our adoption method, right? If all of us don't onboard to wallets, if we don't begin to use cryptocurrencies, if all of us don't utilize tokens, if we don't utilize AR, VR, nothing is going to happen, really. So today, again, it, it really like it, it's really up in the air. So to me, I think the metaverse is still one, two decades, maybe more away because I, I don't, I mean, I personally can't be convinced that someone is going to utilize AR or VR, even if they have glasses. I find that really, really difficult to believe. I mean, this is really cool, but again, it's kind of like, like the practical use cases are awesome, right? Especially when we look at accessibility and the disabled and so on and so forth. There are specific use cases that are fantastic. But if we were to create a manufacturing facility where all of this happens, you can't create, uh, if, if a steel pipe falls on a worker, you can't recreate that experience. And if it you know, crushes that individual spine, you can't recreate that experience. I'm not, I'm not wishing for that to happen. I'm just saying that like, there are certain things that we have yet to kind of to go through. Then I think individual ethics, like individual user ethics are gonna come into play because the gentleman here was talking about singularity. Like singularity is where we will mesh and merge with machines or with AI, whatever you want to call it, right? I think from a moral level, a lot of people will, I think, will wake up and say... By meshing, you mean our fusing. lives? Yeah, literally. Or... So like, like the Matrix almost, where you can't tell if you're in reality or if you're in a simulation. I think a lot of people will say, you know something, this is a bit too much. Like, you know, the fact that my son or my nephew or whatever is already addicted to gaming, I don't think we want to push it further because then... Then we're looking at like serious, serious, like deep stabilization of society. But I'm not, I don't want to be negative. So Let's, would you like to speak on that at all? No. Okay, perfect. Let's go on to, to the platforms. We've been, we've been uh, vaguely yeah. touched on them as, as we went through, yeah, but let's sure. get into. So platforms is one of the pillars uh, that is part of the metaverse. Yeah. So platforms are pretty much, I think I, I discussed it briefly, but virtual worlds are pretty much the platform. So today you have Decentraland. Decentraland is mainly used for a more experiential view of the metaverse. So people go to shop, they go to purchase, they go to view art galleries. You have Sandbox, which is a more gamified experience of the metaverse. So you go in, you're pretty much a pixelated avatar and you do XYZ things. Somnium Space, which is more virtual reality enabled. Mona, which is it, more of like various creators go in to create these kind of like beautiful individualistic worlds. I actually prefer Mona just because it's a very nice space. The founders are really nice, so they're pretty cool. Um, then you have Pixel Links. So uh, 
Ben and I were discussing, Pixel Links is, is actually Dead Mouse's creation. So Dead Mouse is a famous DJ. Um, but again, he wants to be completely interoperable. Then you have Journey. Journey is a is a is a three. By interoperable, you mean being able to switch back work and forth exactly yeah. with everyone. With everyone, okay. uh, that's that's his vision, and he stated it. Um, other side, which is Board Apes World, they conceive it to be interoperable, um, and there's so many different worlds. Now, again, the thing is, you need blockchain technology to under to underscore all of this. But again, the problem with blockchain technology is that it's too slow. Um, you need avatars that are cross interoperable. So, do you think that with technology going the rate that it is, that it'll kind of start like the internet, where it kind of took a while to get the system started, but now you can access your internet in two seconds on your phone? Will blockchain potentially? Yeah, I mean, potentially, um, is that blockchain technology could? I mean, Solana, for instance, as a blockchain, is incredibly powerful, incredibly fast, but it breaks down every month. So what happens? Uh, yeah, for those of you, so the, the thing about blockchain technology is that either they're decentralized, they're scalable, or they're secure. And you can only have two of three of those. Don't ask me can why. Can you say that again? It, the other? <laughs> so they're decentralized, or it's secure, or it's scalable. Okay. Blockchains can only have two of three. I don't know why, honestly. <laughs> I'll defer to this guy. But you have Ethereum, which is decentralized, and it's uh, secure, but it's not scalable. Hence, you have Polygon on top of it. So again, this is all very confusing because how are we going to onboard billions of people into the system where we're creating complexity on top of complexity, which goes back to the user behavior, which goes back to the virtual worlds. There's so many of these worlds that don't speak to one another today. So I own uh, NFTs that are digital wearables, but they're only digital wearables in Decentraland. That's, it, it defeats the purpose of the metaverse or this entire concept. You want to take your Disney backpack. Yeah, to I want to take Mickey <laughs> Mouse. Exactly. To, to Paramount. That's yeah, so what you want to do. Mickey Mouse should go to... <laughs> exactly. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you also have... And you also have other platforms with it with, where they don't use the blockchain technology, so, uh, like Horizon by Meta. The graphics are pretty much better the uh, uh, the motion inside inside the uh, the platform is really good. You can move the shoulders, move your hands. Uh, you can see the faces moving, move your head. So it's, uh, it looks way much better than any other metaverse. But they don't use the blockchain technology. They tried and they failed with their Libra coin. I, I believe the blockchain will. What is the platform of? Yeah, platform of uh, Facebook. It's, it's called it's called Horizon. Horizon, Horizon Rooms or Horizon, uh, Horizon Spaces, something okay. like that. Uh, and they're going to stop it. We were talking about uh, this, me and Brandon. They're going to stop it next week. They're going to launch something better after a month. They're going to merge their platforms. They have Horizon Rooms as well for meetings. Okay. And it's pretty good, actually. They, like, they have a whiteboard. You can sync your, uh, your laptop or your, your computer. Uh, you can see your screen. You can see a virtual keyboard. You can see your colleagues. You, there's a whiteboard. You just flip the joystick. And literally write on the whiteboard. It's uh, it's fascinating. I think we're gonna see a lot, a lot of uh, of that happening. Especially that teams they're gonna do something similar, but they're not gonna use the blockchain technology. The, it's going to be centralized. It won't be cent- uh, uh, decentralized. It's gonna it's going to be fast. The graphics will be way much more better than what we have on the web. And by the way, the the why is it slow? Because we have it on the web. 
we don't have it on the local. We don't download the, the let's call it a game, because Decentraland or Sandbox are more like games. Uh, you don't download it. You access it on the web. And whatever game you access on the web, you have restrictions when it comes to limitations, when, when it comes to the graphics. It's really, really slow and bad graphics, to be honest. Well, I saw our first question of that. We're going to answer five questions. I'm just going to check Brandon in terms of time, but I think we're... We're good? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so two questions. So the first one, um, we talked a lot about obviously the, the processing power and, and how everything is delayed. But what does co uh, quantum computing do to help address this? At the same time, things like 5G and Starlink and you know increasing connectivity and internet access and all of that. What does that do for... Um, the development of the of, of the meta, metaverse governments they have sensitive data and we uh governments are always a subject of attack right blockchains are amazing because they are very hard to crack they are very hard to break into and hack but they are still centralized so there is an aspect of how we as as users of, of people who generate information store these information on the blockchain and kind of process this information. Now, if I wanted to develop the best encryption ever, I need to make the hash function that this, this is the tool that you take and like kind of generate this encrypted gibberish out of it, right? We, you, we need to make it extremely complex that no computer can work, right? And we have a problem called the collision resistance requirement and this is basically it's 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 a way of asking our function to make sure that no different inputs will produce the same output so if i for example chose a password for my data if i stored my data in a certain way and then this function takes the letters and shift them shift them basically but for example um uh, three um letters so every a comes to c right and this is called the Caesar encryption, one of the first encryptions in history, right? What happens that actually you can find text that can produce the same result in another text? And this, this is called collision, and it can happen. And a good encryption makes sure that this doesn't happen. The problem with trying and finding this in, in, in encryption algorithm is it takes ages to, to, to find it. It really takes ages. And that's why we have like merely about six different trusted encryptions around since the dawn of mathematics. And, the thing with quantum computation is that you kind of take it from the macro world where you build transistors into the micro world, into the, I'd say the quantum world rather. Richard Feynman was a great physicist. He was a great dreamer of one of the, I mean, everything we do today, most of the things we touch thanks to some of his discoveries. Now, he, he wanted to calculate the weather. <laughs> Again, he wanted to build a really fantastic model. And what happened is that he found out that a change of certain parameters while the computers were modeling this produced a very random um, um, output. And the computers basically couldn't process more data out of this randomness. And he thought, maybe, maybe, if I could build this computer out, if, I'm, if I want to fight fire, maybe I need to have fire in my hands, right? If I want to use computers to solve really quick equations, doing them like a flick of a second, I need particles. I need particles to be my processor. I need quantum particles to act as my clocks, to act as my signals carriers, right? 
quantum computation, aside from everything they will open the world to, they will allow for a proper way to have your data encrypted in a way that you can't even argue because now you trust in pure mathematics and physics. You trust in how the world is constructed outside. It's not now the work of men. You literally leave your function to the quantum computation. And it's been done, by the way. So there is actually a French company who is helping now the French government and we might be looking into some work as well, is, is, is basically trying to build quantum servers, quantum-based servers that encrypt all the government data. Now, good luck with trying to decrypt that. You would need, you would need uh, the, 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 the all-known computer from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So, and the thing is that when you have that, when you have that power of encryption, you know that your data is safe. Now, the second part, conversions of AI with blockchain requires a lot of technology that we don't have hands to. It requires, requires a lot of architecture and hardware that we cannot execute. Sometimes, actually today, nowadays, we have equations that could be solved very fast, but we cannot achieve the speed. And the reason not in the processors anymore, the reason is the time wasted getting the variables from the memory. The processor needs to ask the memory for certain variables to execute that function on. That takes time, and that's a waste now. So we're that close of having this bridge of like useless more research in, in computation. But the only way to solve this, ditch the old architecture and use either analog computation, which is another field, or quantum computation. Right? And this is this definitely is going to be a center point in future artificial superintelligence and how it converges with blockchain that is based on the new quantum encryption as well. Yeah. So if I understood you correctly in layman's terms, it would help to solve the problem he was alluding to? No. no. Actually, what, what George mentioned about Decentraland being slow, it has nothing to do with the blockchain itself. The transaction is slow, but the graphics has nothing to do with it. The graphics or Decentraland is still centralized. What, what do I mean by that? We're still counting on Web 2 to build Web 3. Because Web 2 is the what we can see so far. Web 3 is the back end. So when you are in decent land, for example, and you're working around, this is pure your graphics, your PC, and, and the internet speed. When you do a transaction, then you're referring back to Ethereum. And this is where, where it's, it's a bit slow. The number of transactions, this is why the gas fees are extremely high on Ethereum, because of, because of number of transactions. So, so there's a conflict between, between that, the blockchain speed, and the, the internet or the other technology speed. Sorry, my, my second question was around, so a lot of the meta, metaverses or meta worlds uh, work with blockchain, and therefore we associate it with decentralization or Web 3.0. But is it really decentralized or are we actually centralizing more? Because to me, it sounds like the large tech corporations get infinitely more power and more data, more access to data than they do now. And probably it's harder for us as users to step away or, or limit that access to data. Right? And blockchain probably makes it worse, right? If everything is transparent and you can see everything, I can't hide my data. I can't. You know my behavior. You know my transactions. Exactly. You know everything. 
is that really decentralized or we've just given them a far bigger, vast so if, universe of data to if, mine? If you were to think about brands today, today brands have closed off CRMs, right? They have CRM systems. They can understand what their customers do from a first-party databases, right? But imagine you had everything on the blockchain. So let's say today, George, myself, okay, has a wallet. You know what he's transacted in. You know what his preferences are because now you know what NFTs and probably, you know, social tokens I may have, you know, what my net worth is because my cryptocurrencies are there. Um, you may know where I am because you could probably infer location potentially. Um, so in essence, the blockchain is really an open CRM. Um, you know, we told, we told a client last week that, you know, you could just drop a token into your competitor user base wallet. And they were like, yeah, we should definitely do that. And I was like, please don't do that because <laughs> that's very creepy. But in essence, <laughs> it is, yeah. We just had it as an idea. But in essence, yeah, you're right. You know, what's going to happen when the big tech platforms dominate? So again, it goes back to user behavior. Each one of us in this room, we can actually change the equation. I shouldn't say that because Google and Facebook are actually our business partners. So I'm not allowed to say that. But yeah, in essence... It, it'll probably be re-centralized again. Even the underlying technology, to its point, the underlying technology is being centralized. So like OpenSea dominates from an NFT marketplace. It's 90, 95% of, of, of the NFT marketplace you know, market share. Infura, which is pretty much like one of the underlying technologies behind all of this, dominates, I don't know, 60, 70, 80%, and so on and so forth. So yeah, I, I don't know how we're going to get to a decentralized space. Yeah. I, I want to add a point to that, George, as well. So, I mean, I think I think you 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 have a really critical point here, and and I think there's a, a I think this like kind of shared across a lot of people. Which, yeah, definitely, blockchain is like literally an open sea of information. But okay, so blockchain is not really one technology, right? So it's like cars. Cars, they're electric, they're diesel, they're gas, they're etc. etc. Et and there's a lot of different designs of these blockchains. And now Polygon, for example. It literally, it mean that the storage of these information could be completely hashed, which means not even the blockchains know what this means. If you chose the design of the blockchain in a way that the information is stored in a hashed manner, which actually helps also the problem of storage and makes it whole faster, using uh, you can look up its beautiful technique that we can use in our lives and a lot of things in businesses. It's Merkle tree. It's a way to condensate information without really losing them. And literally, you cut information, but you don't lose them. So if you use such things, if you used hashing, which is already done. So I'm not using, I'm not, I'm not speaking of speculations. I'm speaking of current running technologies on the blockchain. So if you did that, you would actually have your information completely encrypted, hashed. No one knows what it means. Even the blockchain itself doesn't know what that means in a way. Man, it could be reversed immediately if you access it. So only accessing kind of decrypt it. But then the problem of centralization is really a huge deal because at the end you're accessing via a URL. And a URL goes through a DNS. It's a, like a domain name server that is centralized and it kind of directly orchestrates your request through the sea of servers until you reach the website, which is then blockchain. <laughs> so these chain there, it is still centralized. And OpenSea, speaking of that, they actually caught a hack that happened. So someone hacked into an account and, and, and they, like, they stole a lot of money. You know, that was innocent. And they stopped it. They stopped that transaction. That's good. 
hacking is bad. However, that shouldn't have been done. That shouldn't have, definitely. That's, that means that it's not really decentralized because it's, at the end, it's owned by um, server. However, we, I mean, there are technologies to protect against that as well. Properly here in Dubai, the, the title deed, when you receive a title deed from the government here, if you look down below, you'll see that this title deed just turned on the blockchain. And still, you can't access it. If you, you can't access someone else's title deed. Although there are, there are public networks and there are private networks. And there's something called Hyperledger Fabric, which is, has been used for private, pri like blockchain, but for Pri uh, enterprises basically so depending on which blockchain the public blockchain every single day now we have a new a new uh, chain coming up or a new cryptocurrency coming up or a new layer two built on another layer one and so on so so uh, as i mentioned earlier we're just scra literally scratching the surface with with all of those technologies together Two thumbs up and a big smile. I love it. Is there any other questions? Oh, we've got one right in front. She's got a book. She's been writing notes, gentlemen. Here we go. You stole my question. So. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. Ask them again. Um, another thing, um, I'm thinking about in research, another aim is kind of to remove censorship. What do you guys think about the ethics of that? Uh, the World uh, Citizen Project. Have you heard of it? Have you uh, checked that? Right. So we, we will need identities, right? We'll definitely need identities. And that identity must be immutable, hence blockchain. Again, so that needs to be encrypted, that needs to be saved, that needs to be immutable. The World Citizen Project is an application, it's a decentralized application, which is, think of it as our normal, pla our normal applications that we use, but it's not built on the web, it's built on Ethereum network, right? It could be built on different blockchains, but this one specifically is on Ethereum. Now, this decentralized applications issues a passport to people, right? Not a passport that we can use here, but it's an, a digital identity that you can use across the web. Now, some of the problems faced by that project is definitely interoperability. And then how would they communicate this information across different blockchains in case I can imagine you logging into Binance, for example, or looking into um, in the UAE bit oasis, and then you would use the same identity. You wouldn't need different identities. And the good thing about that is your identity is stored forever, immutable. On the blockchain, you will only ever need one, and you know that it's saved. It won't be lost. It won't be hacked, hopefully. And yeah, so there is a lot of work and effort being... That's, by the way, one of different projects happening at the moment. There's something called Sevel. It stopped. Still, the open code is in GitHub for anyone who's into, can develop and continue it. But at least the World Citizen Project is something that is a bit of, um, of, of a hope for, for this to develop. And this will definitely be part of identity. That's one of uh, implementers for what the metaverse should look like and could be. Yeah, I just wanted to add to that. So censorship is, is, is probably a key critical feature of decentralization because today, if Twitter doesn't like what you're saying, then they could literally censor who you are, like you as a person, right? Based on your political views, based on who you are, where you're located, et cetera, et cetera. In a decentralized world, then, yeah, technically we shouldn't have censorship, but then you have the Wild West, right? So it also, I think it also goes back to legal structures because I could foresee in the United States a more decentralized web potentially taking place just because you have something like the First Amendment. So it's enshrined in their legal fabric, um, whereas, you know, other countries, that may or may not happen um, simply because, th just my point of view.
Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys, I want to say thank you so much for joining us tonight. I think let's give our guys one more round of applause for being so amazing. If you have any other questions, please grab them um, outside and you can ask everything you'd like to ask them. But thank you guys so much. We hope this was uh, helpful to everyone here and we hope that your questions got answered. We'll see you next week.